Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, everybody, for returning to the Boymanship Podcast. Uh, this will be the end of our summer hours, as most of you are used to every three rather than two, so you'll be seeing us every two weeks um, from here on out. Uh, wanted to thank everybody you've stayed with us for a year. This is our one-year anniversary. A year ago, we had our first episode. We didn't know what we were doing. And 24 episodes later, we still don't know what we're doing. <laughs> First well, of, we know it a little bit more neatly. You're right. That's right. That's that's absolutely right. So first, let's introduce, uh, we have a very, very special guest today, uh, all the way from uh, La Sierra, California, uh, Mr. Lloyd Trueblood, or doctor, I'm sorry. Dr. Lloyd Trueblood, our former schoolmate at a school that we won't name because uh, we don't name names here on the Boymanship Podcast. Uh, but Dr. Lloyd, uh, here here with us today. Um, thank you for joining us. Say hi to Yeah. Everybody. No, I'm super excited to join in. I've sat in on several of your broadcasts. It's been great to hear uh, perspectives of growing up together uh, and getting to hear the different stories and the parts that I missed out. Um, so it's been it's been great getting to follow along with you guys a little bit and also dig into some of the discussions you guys had. So I'm super excited to join in. Okay. Well, since you're Dr. Lloyd, we won't expect uh, unusual brevity at this point. Uh, next, we'll go back to – oh, well, we won't go to Sheldon uh, right now because uh, his camera's not on. We'll go to uh, our, 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 our international uh, playboy. Uh, artist extraordinaire, uh, the equestrian star of the East and the West, none other than Lee Ricky Court, uh, who is who is dialing in from another place. We won't say where because we don't name names here, but uh, just know that he is uh, at a distant land and uh, he's joining us anyway. So happy to have you uh, join us, uh, Ricky. Yeah. Apparently, I wouldn't uh, miss it. Oh, apparently you would not miss it. Uh, number 24 is, is, is a big episode. Uh, we have Mr. Paul Nixon, who's currently going through uh, a hurricane and, and dialed in uh, on battery-operated devices. So we want to thank him also for his uh, uh, willingness to stay aboard and make sure he didn't miss the 24th anniversary of our uh, the launch of our podcast the championship level podcast, I should call it. We are the champs of this space. We dominate the Tuesday night arena. Um, needless to say, I, I don't have to say more. The next I have uh, assistant principal, uh, Gabriel Benjamin. I'm, I'm, I'm not an assistant principal. Assistant, assistant superintendent. Assistant principal. Okay, sorry. Uh, I, I, I got you a little mixed up, I'm sorry. Uh, assistant superintendent. Uh, Mr. Gabriel Madrid, uh, Mr. Gabriel Benjamin Madrid. Okay. Second. Okay. Uh, uh, first, first, first. The first. I'm sorry. Se second is my is my son. The second is um, the better basketball player of the two. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we have Sheldon. Uh, he's. I know people aren't used to seeing Sheldon. Uh, they're still not seeing Sheldon. We, they're we still, still not right. seeing Sheldon, right? <laughs> Uh, but uh, we're, we're happy to have him here today. So, um, you know, hey, before we start, though, Wu, can I say something real quick? Yeah, go ahead. 
So I just want to give a shout out um, to my boy, Dr. James Whitfield. Um, for those of you that don't know him, uh, Google him, see what's going on with him in his life right now. Uh, he's a principal out there in Texas. We were actually trying to have him on a couple of weeks ago uh, because he was uh, blew up in the news over some stuff that was going on with his school. Uh, but yesterday he was placed on, uh, he was suspended by the, the district. Saw that. Saw that in the news. Yeah, he was uh, suspended by the district. So, you know, just big ups to him. Hashtag free Dr. James Whitfield. Um, so we're out here praying for you, buddy. And, you know, you always got a friend out here. Yeah, he was supposed to be a guest last week, but, you know, uh, we cooler heads thought otherwise. So um, keep your head up. Uh, Dr. James down there in Texas, we are definitely backing you. And if you ever need me to contact the NAACP or any of the other uh, um, organizations, I would love to do that on your stead. All right. So we are here. Uh, we are Our 24th episode is called Black or White, named Black and White, sorry, named after the 1999 movie that most of you probably did not see, uh, cameos from the Wu-Tang Clan um, and uh, Power from Wu-Tang, their, their, their guy. Um, and the movie was about the different races being in different spaces, meaning at that point in the late 90s, how white children were, were latching on to hip hop uh, uh, and the commercial success of, of hip hop um, has spread its, its, its way into the black community, uh, meaning that it was more lucrative and it was cooler to be uh, what people said, quote unquote, street. And then on the other end, you had uh, a juxtaposition of a young man who was trying to make his way as a basketball player in a white school. Uh, starring Alan Houston in his uh, acting debut, uh, it might have been the end. I don't know if he'd ever. Acted yeah, it, it was. It was his debut <laughs> and his final film. All right. <laughs> uh, a lot of stars were in that movie. If you look his at debut Robert, and fun song all in one. Robert Downey Jr. Uh, was then there. Uh, a lot of uh, the Wu Tang Clan at least did um, little little parts here and there. So pretty could pretty good cast. The movie didn't sell anything. I think it only did $5 million, which as you, you, you who make movies on the other end, uh, I'm here looking at you, Gabe, Paul, Sheldon. That's basically, uh, they lost money. So they lost <laughs> about seven to $8 million on that, that movie. But uh, it came up in the movie. Just so everyone knows, we do listen to our fans. Dr. Lloyd Trueblood has sent us uh an article or a, a clipping, a YouTube clipping of a young man by the name of Tiago who attended Morehouse University and he was white and it was the only school that he applied to and it talked about his experience there. So it brought up the point um, of us talking about being a different race uh, in a place dominated by another race. So we decided that we would bring Lloyd Trueblood, our, our, our boy, uh, he was opposite of our crew uh, in high school. Uh, we were the wrecking crew. I'm sure he remembers that. Um, <laughs> no, won't bring anything up like that. We've all grown. Um, and 
And uh, when I got to know him a little better when I was in college, uh, and uh, he had a different set of friends there. Um, and you know, and and as we've grown older uh, through the beauty of social media, I've been able to act, at least catch up and, and and have conversations, whether it be back channels or text message. So, Dr. Lloyd is here to talk to us a little bit about feelings. Uh, obviously, uh, you, I think, Dr. Lloyd, you are the third white person on our show. We do appreciate and welcome everybody. <laughs> uh, I just want you to know that you know the first two. Uh, our, our guy, uh, Shaughnessy, Cargyle, uh, and, uh, and Jason um, uh, were treated well, and we still are, there are brothers in podcasting as we uh, definitely uh, uh, reach out to them. So happy to have you here, Lloyd, and happy to hear your story. So I think, Gabe, you kicked off the show talking about uh, an issue, you know, I, I like to probably talk about that for a little bit, because not really go into great detail, but I think it's been a running theme that we've been talking about all summer. Uh, if you don't know, we had an episode on critical race theory um, that was suppressed because of the title, um, as far <laughs> as views by uh, social media um, gods. No disrespect, Mr. Zuckerberg. Push me down again, Mark. See you in a few weeks, San Francisco. Uh, but um, I, I, we wanted to talk a little bit about that. Critical race theory has oh, become no. this animal. Uh, we don't want to make another episode on it, but again, we're forced into it as our good friend, Mr. Uh, James Woodfield, down in, in Texas, is being prosecuted for something that he doesn't even do. I don't even know if he uh, uh, even believes in critical race theory. So right. Dave, uh, you know, without talking about it, uh, just let the elephant out in the middle of the room that you put in the middle of the room. Sure, I mean, look, so James and I go back, we played ball together in college. Um, you know, it would have been, I've already said that he's, he's the guy with the most hops I've ever seen in my life. Um, and I've been to NBA games, so. Uh, He's a little shorter than me, and I've seen him go baseline and reverse dunk on a seven-footer who had transferred from Cincinnati. Uh, yeah, I mean, in between his legs, down, in between his legs, reverse. Anyway, okay, we get it. So <laughs> I know who that makes you upset, but that's just how it is. But, uh, yeah, so he's, he's a principal out there. He's been in Grapevine, Colleyville, ISD for a few years now. Um, you know, he's been a vice principal. He's worked his way up. He was a principal at the middle school. Uh, he's entering his second year as a principal at the high school there. And uh, I think it's Colleyville Heritage. And there's just been a group of individuals in the community who have been just really coming at him since he became the principal. Uh, he is the first African-American principal of that high school. Um, it is Texas. It's uh, near the Fort Worth area. And um, this year, they've just really been pushing the fact that he, uh, he and his staff uh, teach uh, critical race theory in the schools, um, that they teach um, a lot of uh, diversity and inclusion theories uh, that they're upset about. Um, and uh, there's been a couple of huge, like really uh, ugly um, board meetings, which you can actually see on YouTube. You can go on there and look at Grape, Grapevine, Colleyville, ISD board meetings. And I mean, it, it's really ugly. 
this past one, he had about 60 people that showed up in defense of him and his character. Students were there. I mean, parents, everybody. Um, so that was this past week. And then, you know, a few days later, uh, the district decided to uh, suspend him. Uh, so he is currently suspended. They they said they're going to put an interim principal in there. Um, you know, since I do work on that side of the of the you know of of education, I, I know what that means. Uh, when when you suspend somebody, uh, it doesn't necessarily always mean that you're going to fire them. Sometimes you are trying to support them, uh, but it doesn't feel like that in this situation. It feels like they're 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 trying to push him out um, because it's gotten too uncomfortable for those board members who are on that board. Um, so really it's just another example of somebody doing their job who is loved, who's doing good things for the students, uh, for the community. Uh, and because of his, his political bent or his beliefs or uh, his skin uh, tone uh, is receiving uh, vitriol uh, and, and could possibly not have a job with uh, Great Von Colleyville, we'll see what happens. But so, Texas, Texas, Texas isn't the most receptive place for people that are in interracial marriages. Also, you know that's Correct. kind Correct. of an elephant that's there, and that you you see. Um, Correct. That is another part. Is that uh, he did come out and said and told a story about when he first got hired. He was asked to take down some pictures of his wife and him at their tenth uh, ten year anniversary. Um, that they felt were too sketchy. Um, his wife is is white. Um, so, you know, there's just a lot going on there. Uh, and it's sad to see that happening to an individual who really is good at his job. Uh, so. Yeah, we still hold it. So, again, hold your head up. We we hope to uh, get you on the podcast uh, when things are clear to do so uh, and, and kind of talk through that more. So uh, we have a special guest, uh, Dr. Lloyd Trueblood. Uh, obviously, Lloyd, you have listened into uh, quite a few of uh, the podcasts over the last year. You know, can I call you a super fan? I'll call you a super fan. Lloyd. It's okay. <laughs> I'll take it. We're, 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 this is a world championship podcasting, um, and I'm glad that you were able to view it. I, you, 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 you said something earlier we want to kind of touch on. I, it, we lived a whole different experience that you saw from a different angle perspective. Uh, you know, some of the individuals, if not all, that we might have alluded to and not named names. Uh, you might have even been there for some of the the, the episodes that we talked about. Um, so I thought it would be a really good idea for before we even get to kind of the juxtaposition of what I saw from you in college. Uh, we went to a, a school, uh, a, one of the more diverse schools. We won't name names, but um, U.S. World uh, News and World Report names it the most diverse school in the United States of America. I'd like um, to point out that La Sierra University has since captured that title. We don't name names, but <laughs> congratulations uh, to La Sierra. Uh, uh, but, but when we were in high school, you know, all of us were, you know, obviously – uh, everyone's going through something at a time. And, you know, we, we've talked about some personal matters offline. I don't want to probably go that deep, but just from your peripheral, you know, what was kind of, uh, what what were you thinking? Say, let's go to 1993. I think that was a, a change year, right? Would we say, guys, uh, where things started flipping a little bit uh, in the world too? Uh, 
Snoop Dogg came out that year, I believe. Maybe that was '94, but yeah. Go ahead. I, feel like, I feel like that was Paul's favorite album. Uh, it definitely was a a, a, a big uh, change in the world after that album, for whatever reason, um, as far as music. But yeah. So Lloyd, tell us when you when you saw all that was going on, what was kind of going through your mind about all of us, and if if you want to say you thought Gabe was a jerk. Uh, I did too in '93. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't think Gabe was a jerk at all. Um, although Gabe Thank almost you. kicked my butt once. I can remember one time he put a good stranglehold on me. That guy had like the the, Val the Vulcan death grip. He did. Really good with that. <laughs> He'd go straight for the jugular. But you know, it was it was really. Uh, jokes aside, it was super educational for me watching you guys talk about some of your experiences at the school which we will not name because i was front row and center for the stories that you were describing but i missed about half of it right and not that i wasn't present but i just didn't see it because it wasn't brought to my attention right it was something that that you you didn't necessarily have to see you know some of the stories like i can remember the messed up story about the truck and try to run people over like i remember that that was awful i never heard about the guy um, who carved uh, some words in in a particular teacher's door like i knew none of that or like when paul was talking about he thought he was about to get jumped by the payphone like <laughs> i had never heard about any of that you know and it was it was actually really interesting to see how i don't know for for lack of a better term privilege helped me identify why this now on the backside I, re I realized why we had some of the social constructs we had at that school that at the tender age of 13 and 14 I didn't understand you know I just I didn't get it um, at the time I was like oh because these guys like basketball and these guys over here don't and that's why we all don't hang out together and that's kind of how it was but um, you know I was pretty ignorant to what was actually going on around me because I didn't it wasn't right in my face. I didn't have to see it, you know. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's an interesting point. And I I remember, you know, um, one of the things I remember the most about um, those days was that when I first came, I was coming from a a diverse environment myself, where it was um, in my neighborhood might have been mostly black, but especially things like interracial dating were not looked down upon, frowned upon at all where I came from. Um, and um, I, you know, through the mixing of the town and when they were moving and busing people, I got to meet even more white people that I knew and they were my friends and we played baseball together. And when I came to this school, which we won't name, it was, it was weird because at first I kind of was still on that vibe, but, it seemed like as time went by, everybody became more tribal, you know, and, uh, it, you know, things kind of fell into it. Not that we had a problem because I felt like when you came to college, right, because I'm a year ahead of you, um, it was still all love. It wasn't like, I, I'm not talking to that guy. You're still familiar. You're still somebody I was going to, you know, hang out with now. I, I hung out with you more probably in college than I did in high school, right? Um, and uh, one of the things that I, I, I was noticing is that you had this group of friends, which I felt you were so tight with, 
like I was tight with my friends, right? And I would ask Lloyd in college, where's so-and-so? I, I don't know. I haven't talked to him, you know? And it's kind of like, I emailed Gabe this morning, right? Uh, Swahu, whatever. We won't say the rest of his, uh, his, 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 yeah, his email address. That. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, but my, my, my point is that I kept, um, I kept this um, track of wherever people were. Uh, Andre and um, Paul came to my school. John came to my graduation. Sheldon came. Uh, we would meet up out. So we were always all together in some in some format. And you, I, I noticed that some of your friendships that I thought were the same um, strength as of what I viewed mine weren't as tight. Yeah, you know, I mean, we went to like a one horse school, right? There was like a hundred of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I believe my senior class when we graduated, we graduated with all of 13. And I had been to kindergarten with at least seven or eight of those kids, you right. know, so K through the whole shebang. So, you know, you don't get to develop and change who you are. You get typecasted and that's, that's how it sticks. And you got this squad that you picked up in fifth grade. And you know what? There are some of them that I am still very tight with and I keep up with. Um, but, you know, a lot of folks left and went to different high schools. In our last two or three years, there was a smaller squad of people who I had been, I don't know what you want to call it, assigned as a clique. And we <laughs> hung out because that was who we were familiar with since sixth or seventh grade. And that's what we did. Um, I don't know if you guys remember me, but I was like the short chubby kid who wasn't good at athletics. I was kind of a dork. Um, I got picked on a lot. Kind um, of. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it worked out in the end. I'll take it. You got yeah. to dork for a sure. little bit. Sure. Um, but, you know, I got picked on a lot by my group of friends. And, you know, some of them I'm still really tight with that I love a whole lot. But others of them, you know, I, I wish them well. But, you know, I don't call them. I don't call them, you know, and good, good enough, you know. Um, but, it, you know, it was an interesting, because it was such a small school and with such, uh, uh, so many kids who had been there generationally for such a long time, when they opened up the dorm and we had a whole new influx of new people, it was a shock to the whole system because, you know, a school that size, we never had but like one or two new kids ever, right? Most of the kids went to kindergarten there. And then all of a sudden we had this whole group of people from a whole different place that just showed up and I think um, unfortunately it brought out ugliness that no one knew existed in some people you know because the challenge hadn't really been presented up until till then because it was you know um, tried I'm gonna do my best not to name names but like in my class prior to the 92 93 school year I think 93 when when a lot of folks hopped into the dorm there were like what two people of color and one black person, you know, that I got into kindergarten with, and that was it. That was it. You know what I mean? And so all of a sudden we had a huge diversity in the school, and it, it um, created some beneficial situations. And unfortunately, after listening to you guys speak quite a bit, um, some very painful situations, too. Yeah, so it, it, I would say it was both. I think it was a mixed bag, you know. Uh, luckily, we all survived it, right? I think we all turned out pretty well, right? On the bottom row of this broadcast, I have two people who are doctors, right? And you guys were in the same class. Picture that. Um, right. Of 15 of you that it was, you know, 
we won't name yeah. we won't talk about where the rest of them are but you two definitely <laughs> are, are 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 good members of the class of 1996 but can i say know, can i say what's up to lloyd then john man. what's up what's up man <laughs> good seeing you too that must have been like 20 years i think I'm yeah, sure, man, I, I mean, I'm sure. I've been seeing you in the comments and stuff, but, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's Doctor yeah. Lloyd John. And, uh, yeah, my bad. He can call you Doctor <laughs> Doctor Trueblood. Doctor Trueblood. Good seeing you, man. So 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 uh, so I'm I'm just asking you a few questions, Lloyd, and then we're gonna go sure. on to the rest of this. Um, I don't want this to seem like this is an Inquisition. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so so you you move on to Andrews University. Right. No naming names. Come on. Luke. No naming names. <laughs> right. There you go. Uh, Incredible. Home of the Saints. And you go. You you move on to uh, uh, undergrad, and uh, you 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 you. Who do you find yourself with? And it's kind of some of it's circumstance, some of yeah. it's happenstance. Um, what what? Who do you kind of find yourself with in school? Well, you know. So I guess I got to give context. Um, I picked Andrews University to go to because I knew absolutely other than like, a, a, I didn't realize you were there, to be honest with you, until I got there. But other than you and one other person, no one I knew was going to be there. True. My family was very keyed in that I went to an Adventist college. And so I picked my Adventist college specifically on making sure no one I knew from academy was going to be there. I just wanted to be me. I'd been kindergarten on through with all these people. So the very first year I was there was just an incredible shock. I didn't know what to do with so many strangers. I didn't, I didn't find a good group of people to identify with um, or hang out with. It took me a year to settle in. And uh, just due to a series of happenstances, like my roommate was super involved in this gospel choir. Um, some of the members of the gospel choir I became an RA when I was a sophomore. A couple of them were on my hallway and they were super chill and they invited me to come to choir. And I love singing. Um, I love music. And it felt like home so here i am one of maybe like i don't know four people in the choir of about 200 and something people who aren't black <laughs> and i was welcomed with open arms and they were like look we're gonna hold on to your robe and move you you just gotta try and clap on rhythm don't worry about the sweat we can get you. <laughs> right <laughs> and and that's just how it went and from that point on, like that community was my family for the rest of my time at Andrews University. Um, you know, all it's actually kind of crazy how we all went to the same. Most of us, sorry, Ricky, you're, you're the only person I didn't go to high school with, but well, most of us all went to the same high school, went to different colleges. But when I look at my friend list, like we got on Facebook, right? Like we got all the same friends from that time period because there's a lot of overlap between folks and that went to Oakwood or found themselves in the in different parts of the country that kind of overlap. Um, so I don't know, it was just kind of ironic, but that became my family. Um, and it was a great, super great experience for me because, um, you know, I've always viewed people are people. And so I never questioned it, never thought anything odd of it, but other people did occasionally. <laughs> but that's still my family. Some of my closest friends, right, to this day are from that time period. Okay. I'm, I'm really interested in the noticed where, where white people all black spaces with with open arms and find find a community and and in in it, the opposite is often not true where where 
will 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 be looking for that type that same type of community and will be excluded in in a way that that is uh, that that is sometimes very surprising to them like for i'll i'll give an example um when when we there was a program at the, at the school i went to where uh there was an exchange with um with our our sister institution that Deep. was um yes and what 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 and they 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 actually stopped doing the program because the 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 students that went went from from our school for a semester would come back the next semester and the white students that came to our school would stay yeah (laughs) (laughs) they they they, yeah so so it was it it was our students went there they had their experience there and they came back and this and 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 the white students were like yeah i'm not uh, and because they found the same type of thing that you found in in the, in the gospel choir, where they were like, what? "What? Why? Like, dude, there's a dude in the dorm that's cutting my hair better than I thought uh, than I thought possible, and and, uh, and and I'm finding this this community, and and I'm I'm clapping on two and four. I, I'm I'm not, I'm staying." Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting point. And and I think I think and Lloyd, when you sent me uh the video, I had never seen that before actually, but I have always been around HBCUs and I still am with the support I do on a corporate level. And when you do go to an HBCU, every once in a while you do see a white person and uh or white people, and they never look like getting me out of here. You know, I, I always have the sense when, and and maybe this is just my own experiences, but when it's the opposite, you kind of, you know, can, you know, uh, sometimes see a, a black person at an all white place. And especially in the corporate world, a lot of times we'll, there'll be, I'm obviously the only one often. Um, but when you do see another black person, there's this, I got you type look that you get, you stare across the room. Um, but I, I, but I did always feel that when you sent me that video, uh, what I was understanding from Tiago, um, in that video where he was talking about, you know what, I, you know, I always wanted to go here. I'm comfortable here. I, I like this. He had an experience with black people at one portion of his life. Then I experienced with white people in the high school and decided he wanted to go back towards the black experience. Is something that I thought was very familiar. So, and guys, I want one of the things I wanted us to talk about too is all of us professionally have found ourselves in different spaces. Maybe not as much, John, right? Because you're a pastor, so I'm sure. I don't know if you've ever been the only black person in in front of. I don't know. Maybe when you go to Southern Virginia and preaching yes. the sticks, uh, you might find yourself alone and lonely yeah, yeah, yeah. in a, a dangerous place. Um, uh, but but I think a lot of us um, academically, especially in those formative years, were finding ourselves like that. Some of us uh, were arrested for inciting riots, quote unquote, um, even though they didn't do anything. Uh, other of us academically were uh, finding ourselves in places where they're being challenged. So why don't we talk about kind of some of the experience of being black in an all white space? Can you guys hear me? Am I, am I, am yeah. I timing okay? 
Sweet. Yeah. So I was I was actually thinking about when Lloyd was talking, I was actually thinking about um experience John and I had, you know, they took us out of the, the Christian school that, that Lloyd was mentioning before. We had all these fights and stuff. And we went to an all white school and when we came to this particular Christian school, we thought it was an all white school. But then we went to the public school. That was an all white school. Like that, that was, was all white. Like, for real, for real. <laughs> yeah, for real. Like there were there were two African Americans in the school, me and John. Their names were John and Paul. Yeah. <laughs> all white like all white school. There was one um Puerto Rican dude who we made friends with. There was another uh Hispanic dude. Hernandez. He was from that was Keith it. Hernandez. What's his last one? DeSantis. Keith DeSantis. Was that his name? No. No. First of all, the guy on the basketball team. Let's just name all the names. Let's just say all the names. Yeah. Let's just just name all the names. His his name was was Raymond. He wasn't anywhere near the basketball team. But anyway. um, (laughs) He didn't even come by the gym for like PD and stuff. (laughs) I don't think he knew knew where it was. So anyway. um, That's hilarious. it, it It was just interesting to me how there was so much racial tension um, and of course, I'm looking at, I'm, I'm thinking about this, you know, retrospectively, you know, at this point in my life, there's so much racial tension in this Christian environment, right? But then we go to a public school, which is not a Christian environment at all, and there was close to none. So I wouldn't say that we were embraced, we were embraced in that way. We certainly weren't rejected. You know what I'm saying? And there was, there was certainly a sense of, and again, talking in retrospect, because we didn't want to leave the Christian school at the time, right? But but there's there's um, there was a sense of rejection, you know, at that school, and um, I don't know, it just wasn't it wasn't there at the public school. So it was just interesting to me how how those how those environments were just very different, and you would think it would be the other way around. At least I would. Well, I think that's what I learned about. Um, I think people who do not have a religious background tend to be more open-minded in general because they live in the real world. It feels like we um, more easily in our Christian sort of uh, bubbles create bubbles and make it so that we only have to interact with each other. So it's really hard when we interact with someone other than us because and other than us doesn't just mean like our color right i mean it means you know our religious bent um and the tighter the bubble is i think the more um easy it is to reject someone who's outside of that so um i think that's what i learned immediately i I definitely didn't feel embraced immediately at that public school i felt like there was almost a wait and see type attitude and then i think we were definitely uh, well received by the girls like almost immediately um, I remember Paul like I mean these girls were, like falling all over this dude like I mean they weren't uh, it was crazy so the girls did Way not different at all <laughs> that, was, well, that wasn't quite that much different but it was you know kind of anyway it wasn't that, it wasn't that different <laughs> anyway that, that was the first thing I noticed and I, I noticed the guys seemed to be a little bit upset that the girls were looking at us like that and then when they saw that we were athletic, they kind of accepted us in that sphere. And then when they talked to us and found out we were smart, they accepted us in that sphere too. So it took a couple of weeks. But after a while, you're right, Paul. I just, I just felt like it was, you know, uh, it, wasn't a, it wasn't rejection. I don't know that we necessarily felt like, you know, these are our best friends in the world. But it was definitely a difference. And I think I figured out in that moment that um, P 
people who deal with other people regularly do better with this than we do. They do better with the idea of new people coming and us not rejecting them. You know what I'm saying? So what is, I, Shel- I, what is Sheldon doing? I'll, I don't I'll say this. I'll, this <laughs> I'll say this. I'll say this, and then I'm gonna ask Sheldon a question. I'll ask Sheldon the question first. Um, Sheldon, did you have that same experience when you left? So I went. Uh, I went to a, a different high school as well. Um, after uh, so prior to coming to um, to our school. <laughs> We left New York, but then we went to Canada for a year. Now, the experience that John and Paul had when they left, I had the year before, right? When I went to Canada. So that kind of, and as, as a matter of fact, it, it was only the same experience as far as what it looked like. But in actuality, I've never, like, so my parents, you know, we, we plucked the kid from the city and put them in a place called, Oshawa, right? Oshawa is 35 minutes away from Toronto. Um, it's cold. It's cold. It's right off Lake Ontario. It's Brick City. But the biggest part, the biggest part about it was, you know, you, you pluck this and you put it there. And I felt like they had not really seen too many black period people, period, right? Um, and I fought a lot that year. Like I, I felt like I was fighting constantly because. Like you mean, you kept getting beat up. <laughs> Come on, son. Wait, was pretty strong. I was just, I was just, I just wanted to get a rise out of him. No, but but like you know, I could, so the the difference between where we went to school and that experience was in Canada, it was obvious, obvious racism. I'm saying when we when we were at school, there was stuff that we were, we felt the tension, which was very very different. Like, hopefully, I'm able to say this. And you know what I mean, when I was in school in there, I used to get called nigga a lot, like a lot, a lot. Like but it with was the like a at the with end? the heart, with the heart. Or, or, no, or, no, the they, they stuck the lead in there. I'll just I'll just check it. Oh man. They just, <laughs> <laughs> Stuck it like Simone Biles. <laughs> so yeah, so no, so like a- after after leaving after leaving where we was at, and we went to um, I went to a different school. This that school, the, the public school that I went to, was a lot more multicultural. I would say, okay. Um, okay. but the, the and multicultural. So this gonna, this gonna sound crazy probably to a few people. I felt like I didn't understand the version of black in that in in that school. Does it, if that makes, does it that make like sense? Another, it sounds like another podcast episode. It, 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 like this, I didn't. I the didn't, the I version didn't of black where Sheldon? Yeah, it, at, it, the public public, at, at the public oh, school I went to. At okay. The public school you went to? Yeah, that we lived. The city we lived in. In the city that we lived. left. Massachusetts black was different than. Right. So I had I had issues with that. I'm saying because and so obviously it was good that we were always together, like in the afternoons. Right. We would always make our way up to the up up to see y'all because that kind of helped me stay grounded because I didn't understand this version of black that I'm seeing. Like I'm like, 
but you're not supposed. But yeah, you know I mean, so it, I had a little bit of confusion when I did leave gay, but it wasn't only because of of you know the, the new environment of school, but just I didn't understand the people. Right. I, well, I, well, so, well, well, well. Before before you go, Gabe, let me ask a question. Both of you, uh, three of you guys left the, uh, the school uh, uh, in 1994, right? Mm -hmm. Most of you guys left the fall of 1994, went to your new schools. Mm -hmm. You know, I was at all of your weddings except for Paul's because of a, a scheduling conflict, right? Scheduling and, that you don't like each other? Right? Besides, <laughs> besides, besides, besides that, um, I don't remember any of your friends, either of you guys from public school being involved nah. with you after that? No, nah, we, didn't, we didn't make deep relationships with those guys or anything like mm -hmm. that. So it wasn't like that. Okay. Um, it, it, so it was, it was really a lack of something, not a presence of something. So it wasn't like we were accepted and, and, and brought in and all of a sudden we're part of a new family or something like that. We didn't make deep, lasting relationships with these people at all. It's just they didn't reject us. Yeah, yep. but see, so th this is what I wanted to say about that was that I, I think John may be right that we create bubbles, you know, especially when we're in these small Christian communities and schools. Uh, but I think the other reason is uh, Tohanto had how uh, sorry uh, <laughs> that school had how many kids? Right, it was a small school. It had like three hundred nope. total. Okay, so so three hundred. Whereas total. Sheldon School yeah. had like fifteen hundred well, freshmen. Well, no, I don't. I, I'm not even worried about Sheldon School. I'm not even worried about Sheldon School. I'm, I'm talking yeah. about Paul and John School had three hundred kids. Yeah. And two of them were black. That does right. not change the culture of the school at True. all. True. It just makes it that now we have two black faces walking around the hall. Very I might true. run into one of them every couple of hours. Mm -hmm. Whereas at the other school, you have 120, you know, somewhere around that number of kids. And all of a sudden, 25, uh, 25, it goes, uh, yeah. Yeah, girls and, and, and it wasn't funny. See, Gabe, that's the other thing. Gabe, thought, girls, and guys, thought, girls and guys, girls and guys, girls and guys. No, see, that's the thing. Well, it wasn't 20 because you're talking about who were in the dorms. What you're forgetting is that there were individuals that were already there. Correct. So you're going from a, a population where people say it's diverse and we have, you know, 18% of our population is black. Mm -hmm. And then you're dumping in now another 18%. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden you got, you know, 36, 40 percent of the population. I think that's where those issues uh, arise is when you just completely change the culture of of the, the community or, or the school. But Gabe, I thought, if, if I can I dive thought, in I, I, no, I, I, real quick, Lloyd, I, I thought our uh, enrollment had dipped to like 89 or something like that when they opened up the dorm. <laughs> Like they, no. they went through this new project because our I don't think our room was like 120 when they opened up the mini dorm. It was like my, my, my senior it? year. I, it went back up to the highest it ever was. And what was that? Do you remember? 115 or 20. And that includes like. you guys in the dorm. Right. My point is, my point is, before y'all came, we were like under a hundred. So it was like so something's I'll happening. Be, we really need to get well, new enrollment here. Yeah, I, I don't know how I many mean, kids were in the high school. I was in middle school. Right, yeah, right, right. We're in eighth grade. So. But John, I, I think you're you're hitting right on what I was going to say. Was part of the issue, right? It, um, without naming names, that particular school was associated with a college and a denomination, right? That college no longer exists. Correct. Because and they had too many garbage. It started rimming around the toilet bowl about the same time we all started high school. It took it yep. 15 years to tank. 
Yep. But the death that it experienced, sadly, was related to church politics along the same lines, in my opinion, of the experience you guys had at the academy. And that with the dip in enrollment, they started searching for other re revenue streams, open dorms, and in case of the college, they started recruiting elsewhere. Um, with the change in demograph, certain components of the student and family populations local to that denomination were not excited about the experience yep. and started moving their kids elsewhere. And there was a school in Tennessee that grew in enrollment like crazy during that time period. At the exact same time. It's an odd coincidence. It's an odd coincidence how that worked out, right? But, you know, I, I think sadly, right, um, it, it's part of the, the geography of where that place landed, but also the denomination that's associated with those two places in that um, depending on where you land, you find great diversity within the denomination that opens with welcome arms and other places that we'd like to keep things separate right, right. and and again i'm going I, I think that part of that has to do because so that that goes outside of the argument that it's a religious thing or that it's this small bubble because you do have areas where the diversity is embraced so i think it has to do with how diversity came about in that community well and if you if you go to the morehouse example that started this discussion Oddly enough, the the reason for opening up enrollment and recruiting to other people was financial. Correct. Right? So it's not just one side that when the, the pantry starts getting low, they open up the borders. I think it's the natural thing to do is we need to get more, right? right. We need to grow the numbers. And, 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 right. and, and, and that was what should work. So when they open up the dorm, I agree. It was a it had unintended consequences also, Correct. right? Correct. Where I don't think anyone was thinking like, if we open up the dorm, our basketball team's gonna be really good, right? Right. All of a sudden they open up the dorm and the basketball team is really good, right? Um, and, <laughs> and, and, and. Right, it, even, it, even, yeah, I, I was gonna say something, but I'm not going to. Even, even, even you could argue <laughs> that the best year um, uh, was, was not heavily stocked by the dorm. It, it wasn't. They had one player, but whatever. We'll move on. A, a great player, though. We had the, one. It had one the, player. The glue, the glue of the team. But yeah, wow. Uh, okay, that's a lot. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. You said he was good. He's good. No, he was good. He was good. I don't know glue, but we'll go. I'm fine with that. I'm willing to say he was he was the paste of the team, maybe. The paste. Let's just go on. Let's go on both sides. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying it was an unintended consequence of stuff happening, right? Uh, right. So while some schools, um, you find that the, the school not to be named in Tennessee, right? Uh, in the next financial crisis, when we're talking 08, uh, or in 2000s, you find them now reaching out beyond and saying, let's be more diverse, right? Correct. Um, and, and and now they're you know going beyond the deep program, um, yep. and trying to go in actually physically into the hood recruiting. Correct. <laughs> um, right. Correct. Um, so 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 I, I think I think everybody does that, but one of the things that I, I that John brought up and he he he's he's talked about it in sermons and things before, um, is that sometimes people's beliefs that are held within their family are tied kind of to religion sometimes. 
So I think that's why we, we find that in religious institutions, there's this hangover of let's stay to what we know, let's not move away from the things we know, because if we do, that's kind of almost like us saying like, we don't believe in what grandma, we don't like grandma as much because grandma felt this way. Grandma felt like we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't date black people or, or even the other way. So, and they hold that almost to that same esteem that they do religion. So I think that's why when you're in public school uh, where there's not that religious background, there's a little at least more overt openness um, to interracial stuff and, 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 and treatment. I really feel like th this, there, there, there isn't this, there isn't this challenge to the, to, it's not, it's not disruptive when, 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 like, for instance, you gave the Morehouse example of they, they, they had a dip in, dip in enrollment and they, they, they looked outside and the people that came aren't looked at as, no, you don't belong here. It, it's, you look different, but hey, come with us. Let me show you, um, let, let, let me show you how this works. Whereas, uh, whereas in, in, in the other example, in the other example, there's, there's this feeling like we are losing <clears throat> something. We are losing our grip on something and we, and our natural reaction is to fight against that. Our natural reaction is to, 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 um, you know, buck the system in, in, in maybe overt and covert ways or microaggressions that go on and, and, Maybe you don't even know why you're why you're treating this person this way, but it's it's that feeling of I'm losing control of something that is my birthright. So I'm going to push back a little bit on that. Yeah, I feel there's some yeah, of that in Morehouse. That there was some of that in Morehouse as well, and I was actually just at HBCU last or the beginning of this month, and there's a lot of there's a lot more white people on that campus than I remember, and I was just there. Three a couple years of years ago, ago. Um, and, and they may be they may not necessarily be students. They're like employees. You're just walking around. I mean, there's there's like a a whole other like school on the campus now filled with white children, right? And I heard students who were saying, "I came to an HBCU because I wanted it to be the HBCU experience." And now all of a sudden, in my cafeteria, I got you know. 50 white 18 year olds walking in here and you know taking up space and uh taking up a dorm and and 50 in oakland i'm sorry uh, high school there, there's a there's a white there's a white uh yeah uh, I, I don't know what oakwood is but i'm talking we about we this. don't do very well i'm, I'm, talk, I'm talking about an hbcu i'm talking about hbcu that i was was just on their campus I'm, i don't know what okay. oakwood is but uh yeah so there's you know when you hear that pushback, I think one of the biggest differences is that um, when when you're a minority and you feel that tension and you feel like that rejection, uh, it's connected to a lifelong journey of rejection. Mm. Whereas when you watch the video, with, with, right? It's not when you watch the video with Tiago, right? He has people who are rejecting him. But he also has people who are embracing him, which I think we all have been in situations where there are white people who embrace us and then there are white people who do not, right? The difference is he's not really been in this, that type of a situation where people are rejecting him because of the color of his skin. It doesn't affect him mentally 
the same way it would affect somebody who it's has not the constant, constant pressure of it. Co correct. It's not oh, like, yeah. oh, here we go again. It's like you know, a new experience. So devil's advocate before you go, Lloyd, uh, HBCUs and places like that are usually referred to as our safe place where we can say things, we can do things that we typically can't do. Are white people not entitled to safe places where they can say what they want about black people? So you're it's asking the United States of America. You're, you're, you're asking Lloyd this question. No, no, hold I, on. I, I would say if you're asking me, my response would be honestly, all things being equal, I think that white people have that just by default of being majority in most places. I I have never literally I have never been somewhere um, where I was like, oh, I don't fit in with the culture here, or I made to feel like I stand out. I've I've had short-term experiences like some of my friends from college took me to a party that was um, a senator who was a founding member of the Black Panthers was there and I was the only white kid in the room. That was a little awkward for a minute when that was pointed out by somebody like, hey, look at the white boy. That was probably the most intimidated I've ever been. No one was going to hurt me. You know what I mean? Like I was welcome. They, uh, they took the opportunity to point out it was weird that there was a white kid here, but that was it, you know? Um, so I think kind of by default, I think that it's unusual to feel threatened um, and like you need a safe space of your own culture for white people because honestly, at least in North America, we have that most of the time. But what I wanted to say in response to kind of Ricky and Gabe, I feel like threat is the big part of the difference in the response when you have a white guy show up to a predominantly black activity versus a black person showing up to a white activity. And the threat layers run deep in both directions. Um, the best example I can give, when I was at that particular college, uh, my friends, I had friends within friends that all kind of rolled in two different fraternities that were historically black fraternities. And I was asked to pledge both fraternities. And I was checking them both out and I was thinking about it. And one fraternity had one um, founding member of that particular chapter who didn't like white people. He just didn't. And that kind of got shared me through the grapevine, like, hey, this guy doesn't want you because you're white. I was like, all right, let's go to the other one. Cool. And there we went, you know. Um, I didn't end up finishing and actually becoming a member of either fraternity because it just wasn't academically viable for me at the time, right? Well, you, but you, nope. you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't like getting up and, and beat in the chest at 6 a.m.? <laughs> About the time one kid had his, had his, had his uh, ribs broken. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> from thunderclaps as part of the process i decided it wasn't necessarily my bag um and uh, i needed to focus on my books because <laughs> i knew as the only white kid online i was going to get it um so but again again right like that wasn't a threat there's i still those are all my boys right i didn't do i didn't end up didn't finish completing pledging with my line but i still have love for every single one of those guys we still talk to this day there was no threat perception even in the case where a guy was like yeah i don't like white people it was i mean my feelings were hurt a little bit but whatever it didn't it wasn't a threat i think if you flip that around and go the opposite direction and i would imagine each of you have had an experience that felt like that that's a very different that's a very different beast right and i think it runs a whole lot deeper and there's a whole lot more emotion connected to that. What, what I find often, um, and this kind of goes full circle to the critical race theory argument that's happening in, especially in a lot of the prestigious schools. Um, my children have been very fortunate to be 
in those spaces and at their age group because they're very young they haven't experienced anything like that but at the higher grades there's these arguments going on about the fact that white children or white teenagers don't feel that it's safe for them to express their opinions if they don't fall in line with the public sentiment of diversity and inclusion and they feel that um, they are being treated as though the sins of their grandfathers or forefathers or even people that weren't related to them are all coming down on them now and that their freedom of speech is being uh, impeded upon and they directly take that to anyone black that is in faculty parent you name it as the people who are authoring this this impediment on their their speech you know i'm, I'm sorry to keep jumping in you can tell poker face no, that's why not. you're here lloyd right <laughs> so just to me what's so problem and <laughs> you, I, you are the special I agree guest with sir. you i agree with you that that happens and i just think it's ridiculous in that what is what is your counter opinion anti-diversity and anti-inclusion like, let's, let's go ahead like and roll us back to the 60s. Yeah, it sounds a whole lot like racism. And so I don't know that there's room for freedom of speech in that regard, you know? And I think that's that's kind of the problem. I don't I don't understand that narrative, but I definitely see it in the media where, well, we don't get to have our white voice. Well, no, you kind of do. You get it all the time. But, you know, you're creating a false dichotomy. If a minority group gets to have their minority group day or month or whatever or we talk about diversity or inclusion, that doesn't mean the majority gets one too, because that's the majority, you have it already. And the opposite is is then racism. And yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me. What do you teach, Lloyd? I'm a biologist, a marine okay. biologist. Very philosophical. Uh, I, I think though that, you know, and also to piggyback on what Lloyd just said, I think that individuals who want to ask real questions, right? I think there's a, I think that's part of the issue too is that there's a lot of individuals who are saying well now I can't speak my my truth or my opinion uh, but when they open their mouths they're not really asking real questions right they're they're trying to stoke fires they're trying to find a, a clever way to be extremely racist right um, you know it's, it's not a real conversation so I think though that we do have to be careful um, and this is not just about race. I think it's about everything. I think it's about like, I think it's about like the baby, like, like I think I think that we, you know, what's going on with him. I think that we should have the ability to question, ask questions, make statements, say I believe this, and as long as it's not completely anti, whatever, right? We either anti-black, anti-immigrant, anti-LGBTQ, right? A, which whatever, what you know, as long as you're not completely anti, we should have some room to discuss the difference in opinions. Um, but I think that that sentiment has been hijacked by racists. I think that I think you're absolutely right, Gabe. I think the language is being hijacked. Where 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 you're talking, where you're saying my freedom of speech is 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 like you don't really want freedom of speech. You want consequence free speech, um, and that's. That's completely a different, different. thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. free, freedom of speech, the, as as 
outlined in the Constitution means that, means that the government can't imprison you for something you say. Right. Uh, it doesn't mean that if you if you yell fire in the theater, that's not like oh, it's, it's my, my 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 freedom of speech. No, you don't. There there are consequences to your speech, and sometimes something you say gets you fired, and it's not right. someone someone impeding your freedom of speech. You said a, you said something that's fireable. Right. I also think though that like there's a big difference between somebody who says. Um, you know, Black Lives Matter continues to point at uh, the police as the biggest threat against the black community, but it's actually the black community. What? Why aren't we talking about uh, black on black violence, right? That, that statement and a statement of like, hey, you know what? Are there other ways that we can also help the black community? Like a serious, like seriously coming to the table and saying, yep, I, I understand this police brutality issue, but also, are there other things that we need to do? Because this, that's not the only issue. And I think because that's what's happening. Because, because I would say because saying that is a bad faith argument. The first saying, one. The first one is a bad C faith correct, argument. Correct, And that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's not real. It's, it's, you're, you're trying to incite. You're trying to, yes. right? It's not, you're not when, coming whenever, whenever somebody says, what about black on black right. crime? Right. It's not, a it's not a genuine, <laughs> it's not a genuine. <laughs> that, that's what about black on black crime. Right. It's not Shut a genuine up. statement. I'm saying I believe that that statement and individuals who make that statement should be shunned, right? What I'm saying is, especially with younger people, um, and I'll count us as part of the younger people generation, I think that we tend to um, look at that second statement. And some of us will shun the individual who asked that question as well. And I think that that's where we have to be careful. I, I, don't, I don't think shunning is the right word. I think people don't want to be disagreed with, but they want to say disagreeable things. So they want to be able to come out and say whatever they want, but they want nobody to challenge that that's not the right thing to say. Right? Mm -hmm. And what I don't think I that's find... all people, though. I think that shunning is the correct word. I, I, I think that I, some I, people, I, I think some people have genuine questions or genuine opinions and are shunned for it. I, I, th and I, I don't think, think it's just about race. I think it's about other things too. I think, I think what, 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 should, what should be allowed to happen is a, a virulent opinion should be shouted down. You, sh you should be, the, 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 the consensus should be, hey, like, hey, I want to be able to say racist stuff. Like, no. Of course. Of, of like, course. <laughs> like, but if you say, you know, I want to have a genuine conversation about difficult issues surrounding race, let's do that. Correct. And I'm and again, I'm including not just race, because I think that if we turn this around and started talking about transgender uh rights and individuals, that there are questions that some of us in, in this podcast would want to ask but would be fearful of asking because they would be worried that if they asked it they would be seen as anti-trans or they would be seen as something else and so then you would be shunned and i think that again that is part of the culture that is seeping in that we have to make sure we're at, we have a fine balance right so you, we, we can't go from from king louis to uh the, you know blood in the streets Right. And the, the reign of terror. Right. You, you got to try to find the middle ground and, and make sure that we're not swaying one way or too far or the other. There's a there's a really, really cool question. Um, uh, 
in, in, in the comments where it says, how do, you, how do you have a constructive discussion about sensitive topics like these without evoking these strong, raw emotions? Because it's an extreme minority on all sides that can have an open discussion. Uh, raw emotions are inevitable. We yeah, I think that, it. yes. Yes. We, we need to be able we need to be able to deal Americans shy away from having having raw emotions. Raw emotions is is one thing. I need to be able but I do need to be able to tell you to shut up and tell you that what you said is racist. Right. Yeah, I think we have to I, be able to come into that space and be okay with that emotion. That's the only yes. way you I was about to say that. I think I think the answer really is becoming more comfortable with conflict. Most people are, are afraid of conflict, don't want to have it. And if we get into a back and forth with each other, uh, it becomes a negative thing. But I don't think there's any way to really get past or through some of these issues that have been we've been plagued by for so long without having real discussions and the real discussion is going to have real emotion and the yes. real emotion is going to bring about probably some kind of conflict but if we are committed to what the end is if the end is trying to get a solution and we're saying we're not going to give up until we get there then i think whatever happens in between becomes part of the package i don't think it needs to be a um a conversation when we're only uh, talking at a certain decibel level or something like that i think raw emotions are going to come into it and yes. Hopefully, you're not trying to push the other person button, which is what oftentimes <laughs> right. is the problem. <laughs> right. But if we're really trying to get a, an understanding of each other, I think it's possible. But sometimes you might step on uh, a landmine that you didn't know was there, and it might create some emotion, and you got to deal with it at the time. I don't think that's There's a bad room thing. for that. There's room for right. that. Right. There's got to be room for it. I, I think there has to be, but I think we're, you know, I don't know, not to be cheesy, right? But they were given an example of how you have some of these discussions, like right here. It's like right you now. Know, <laughs> it, it's having it's having these discussions. The problem is like you need a cultural change, and no billboard and no standing on the corner holding a particular flag of one kind or the other is going to be a cultural change. What the only thing that's going to change people's relationship, right? I, you mentioned like trans and et cetera. I can think of particular particular political parties who are very anti, you know, one mm -hmm. sexuality, and their membership go to town about, you know, marriage rights and all this until one of their daughters turns out to be a lesbian. Right. And then it changes real fast because they get to know other people that are part of that community. Like, wow, these are good people. These people aren't that different than me. Right. You know, I, and it and it's a grassroots getting to know people because, you know, one of the biggest things, you know, way back to my college days, you know, I definitely had people ask like, hey, man, why are you hanging out? And I'm just like, until somebody asked, I never thought about it because people were people. Right. Mm -hmm. People were people. And until until our, you know, at least in the United States, until people recognize we're all people that all just want the same thing. I don't I don't see progress. But I think that's baby steps and small conversations over a long period of time, not any one quick, quick, quick movement. Oh. You know, yeah, definitely agree with that. Yeah. So I actually feel Ego, you're you're, you're uh, definitely muted, which, you know, I like I probably could have kept yeah, it down was... for a long time. <laughs> I thought you did show, on purpose. <laughs> For that what were you gonna say? I, I, I was cutting you off as usual. What no, go ahead. Say? You go ahead. <laughs> you know, I just right. feel like I feel like this is one of the keys, in my opinion, and this is one of the things that I think we have to do better with teaching our people how to do. So we've been trying to do this at our church, and I think that um, anybody that's an influence, if you're a teacher, um, if you're you know a professor, whatever, I think we should be teaching the people that we 
have influence over how to do this, and that is to be comfortable with uncomfortable conversations. How, how do you ever, how do you ever reconcile if you can't have one uncomfortable conversation? I, I don't get it. I mean, it's not it's not possible. And the kind of reconciliation that we need in this country is going to require like seriously uncomfortable conversations, man. You know what I'm it, saying? <laughs> it, 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 is, it is at the heart of, of the avoidance of it is at the heart of the, 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 the issues that we're having with have with critical race theory in the, in the first place. We don't Correct. people don't want to feel uncomfortable about what happened in the past or right. the effects that it has it has on the present. I don't yeah. want to feel uncomfortable. I don't want to feel guilty for for being being benef- a, a beneficiary of a of a system that is really really ugly. I don't want to feel guilty for that. I want to I, and I want to keep it. So right. <laughs> so I so let's not talk about it anymore. So I can so I can keep it and not feel bad about it. Right. No, I mean you hit it. You hit it, Ricky. Right? Because nobody wants to be a bad person. There isn't. Right. I would imagine there's not a soul alive who's like, "I'm a jerk. <laughs> I'm this. I'm that. I'm the other." Right? Like, uh, I hate to use the analogy because I believe once you pull it into the discussion, you've lost your point. But you know, at the end of World War II, there wasn't a single Nazi in Germany, right? Oh, that, that was that group. That wasn't yeah, me. That was them. I didn't participate in that, and I'm not calling white people in America Nazis. Don't. Don't let me run down that's that Ricky, road. That's Ricky's don't, job. That's, that's, don't, don't, let me, don't let that be construed as the point. But the point I'm really trying to make, look, I know plenty of people that I love um, through their own ignorance of their own whatever, where life took them. They're passively racist, but don't realize it because nobody calls them on it. Mm. Right? And until people are willing to be like, you know what? That wasn't cool, what you just mm-hmm. said. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean on the micro level. It's got to be on the micro level. There have, but truthfully and honestly, there have to be a bunch of those little tiny conversations. But a lot of them have to be had between white people. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Where where black people were saying, "Hey, that stuff's racist," and 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 white people were like, "What is he talking about?" And another white person that you trust has to say, "Hey, dude, what you said was wild racist." Right. Yep. Don't do that anymore. Hundred <laughs> percent. Is, that really, like that, is that really the answer? Because <laughs> when I go to January sixth, and I know we've talked about that uh, on this program. January sixth is is Wu's uh, is Wu's Nazis. That's Ricky's. Yeah, exactly. yeah Rick, <laughs> for Ricky, it's Nazis. For Wu, it's January sixth. For John, I, I, uh, I thought Ricky was like it was neo Nazis, but whatever. So, in uh, the, the reason why Paul's is, yours is Ben Carson, you said? That's a for John is Ben Carson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, only reason I look at that date that I don't feel like, you know, it was really easy for people to say, you know what. You guys take Jim Crow. That was a long time ago. Was it really that bad, right? But uh, January sixth, we had over one thousand different camera angles, and people are denying whether it happened. Um, <laughs> like, like uh, that was this year. <laughs> it was, yeah, they have phone records. They have uh, the, the cameras. They there was just so much evidence, and still, it's the same. It's not as bad as you said it was. 
they, those guys, they, 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 they those officers, it in 4K. Those officers would have died of heart attacks anyway, even though they had a complete, you know. Um, yeah, they weren't really they, trying to overthrow the country. They weren't trying to overthrow the country. Peaceful protest. Yeah. They peed in Nancy Pelosi's office because they couldn't find the bathroom. Um, well, they'd never been in the building that far before. In their defense, they didn't know exactly where the bathroom was because That's they true. weren't supposed to be there. Sure. <laughs> yeah, the map that they had been given didn't include bathrooms. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 I, I just think there is always this. You know, it's not even the the far history. It's this. We just don't do wrong. You know, I think that's that. That's it. it, it when when I listen to uh, the far right speak, um, and on and the most of the white, white supremacists, when I, there's times where they speak, and I, I listen to them because I want to hear what their point is. They say all of what happened to black people in the past was necessary for the country to come to where it was today. So slavery was a necessary evil. Uh, segregation was an, uh, a necessary evil because all the things that we enjoy now are fruits of that. Thoughts? Um, I'll throw, throw a bomb out there and say thoughts. <laughs> so so I, I'm probably going to get lambasted. I'm probably going to get lambasted for this. Um, that is actually a factual statement. But it's not as but it's not as um cut and dry as it being factual, right? Where we are is actually behind where we could have been, right? If if the level, if the playing field had been level from the beginning, we could be in flying cars, but we could be Wakanda by now, right? So just, 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 just think about the statement. The statement means that we are in a perfect society now, right? This is like, this is supposed to be utopia and that's not where we are. So the statement is definitely correct. You know, those things had to happen to be where we are. But that's that statement is without it, it's without looking at possibility. Right. I, I, I agree with you. So I think that, <laughs> I, th I think that I think that we as Americans, we are obsessed too too obsessed, overly obsessed with being the good guys. And in and we we fear so deeply facing the fact that in a lot of these situations, we were the bad guys. When in, 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 all, in all of our art, in all of our literature, we want to be cast as the good guys. We can't, we, we, so, so we, 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 wanna, we, wanna, we wanna look at um, all the conflicts that America was involved in um, and, and say we were, we were the heroes and we were, when, when the, we, the, the the United States was was not the good guy in, in 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 the Indian conflicts where they they were they were they were actively committing genocide for generations. That's not that that's not so. You have to now recontextualize all of those things as necessary when in fact they are destructive. You you you. We could what what Sheldon said is true. We could have been so much further as a society if we weren't actively holding back part of our a, a large portion of our talent base, or, or had a whole generation of people stolen uh, in the millions and right. uh, taken. You know, take any society and take men of, of ages eighteen to to thirty strong and intelligent and remove them 
18. Maybe 12. But I'm just saying, who cares? I'm just saying, they'll take a, taking a great piece of society and just eliminating them uh, would take you thousands of years to catch up with anyway. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I just want to say that um, I, I, so I don't agree with their statement and how they're presenting it. Um, but I do think it was necessary for the United States to do what it has done uh, when we look at it beyond just the temporal, physical world. Um, I think that when we look beyond that, uh, it was necessary for the United States to have such a beautiful, a beautifully written and uh, conceptualized idea of what government was and what it should be to the people and then to act in the total opposite of that written document. I think that was necessary for it to fulfill its destiny. And with a, cognitive dissonance is, is, is absolutely necessary in order, in order for the United States for it to, 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 to feel its, its, its destiny as, as we enter into, you know, the ends of, of, of time as we know it. Um, so I'm now not speaking in the physical, temporal, but I'm speaking, you know, beyond that. Um, you know, again, the United States, I agree with all of those people who say we have the greatest, most beautifully written document that had ever been written until that time. I agree. Uh, the Constitution and, and, and the Declaration of Independence are beautifully written um, and 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 promote this idea of personal freedom and liberty and equality. Um, it is so beautiful. It is, it's like listening to a lamb just bah outside. And then what we did as a nation was just so terrible. It was so uh, genocidal. It was, it was the total opposite of what that document stated, that we acted more like a beast, like a dragon, like a whatever whatever were you, were you saying that the, that it was lamb like i'm saying that we speak yes like a lamb but we lamb have like acted beast. we have acted like a dragon that is exactly what i'm saying oh this sounds this sounds so familiar i don't know, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well on that note uh we're gonna close up now we always end with a question every week this one is actually going to be really hypocritical to what we've been talking about all this time. And I, I was going to ask, if you could be one monarch in Earth, in Earth history, who would it be? Um, doesn't fit that well, but that's what I got this week. Uh, Gabe, go ahead. One monarch. Um, I should have started, right? That's, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. You right should, yeah. You're supposed to start. Yeah. I could be one monarch ever. It would be Hannibal. Because Hannibal um, <laughs> was the most dominant general and monarch in world history, um, and I can't figure out why he turned around um, when he got to Rome when he could have just went on with his his army of elephant tanks and conquered the whole world. It was uh, <laughs> he got scared. There was this little horn, and it just it frightened yeah. <laughs> so, so, oh, so Hannibal uh, is is uh, my my. Okay. So I'm gonna go with Mansa Musa. Ah, uh, that's the one I was gonna go with. Were you? I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. I really was. 
Yeah, so, you know, the Emperor uh, Timbuktu, uh, Mali, uh, just really, I mean, uh, when you read the, the accounts, and what's interesting is, you know, there's a perception that Africa was just like all bush and no civilization there. And when you read the accounts of what those cities look like in Western Africa, which is also important, because they usually will carve out a little, oh yeah, well, you know, Egypt was there and, and, and Ethiopia, but in West Africa, where the slaves were taken from, that was all bush. And when you read about these cities there in that area, um, it's just amazing. They, the Europeans were going there to learn math or in you know, like the Caribbean, they say maths. They were going there to learn maths. <laughs> all of, right? all of the maths. <laughs> right? All of them. They're, all of them. They were learning this. They were learning science. Um, they had some of the greatest libraries in the world. Uh, there's actually an explorer who says that their streets are wider and cleaner than any street in Europe at that time. That they actually had uh, septic systems, wow. where in in Europe. London, you know, in those areas, I mean, it was disgusting, right? So they, he created one of the greatest empires that is never talked about. So I, I'll, I'll go with my man, my man, Eminem. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to keep mine simple because the time is late. Um, and just on the fact that I'm Jamaican, I'm just going to go with Haile Selassie. Well, there you go. Okay, you Rastafarian. Okay. Rastafarian. Yep. Rastafarian. The Rastas love him. Even though he's from <laughs> Ethiopia, they're all three years over. I was all right, <laughs> but that's you need to know that. Am I am I in real time here? Yes, yeah, we are. Okay. I'm going with uh, King Jaffe Jaffer from. Um, <laughs> <laughs> My son works. Yeah, he's got, yeah, he's got the whole bath thing locked up. So I'm, that's, that's my Where does that keep? Paul, I want you to return to my suite at the Waldorf Astoria. <laughs> Bathe him thoroughly. I had always thought you had sex with your baby. <laughs> Probably black man, King Solomon. Right, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Yeah, more than likely. That's killing me because Ricky, you stole where I was going. I got nothing. I got nothing. So I'm going to default to John. <laughs> I got I got Shaka Zulu. Hey. And my reason is because he. I always like the idea that he turned these Zulu people into these great warriors. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And then I like the song. Boom, 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 boom. Black boom, Panther boom, is boom, boom, Black Panther is boom, loosely boom. based on on Chaka Zulu too. I didn't know it is Wakanda. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. <laughs> but just throw that out there. And Lloyd, still nothing. Uh, Lloyd. Well, you know, failing Solomon. I don't know if this guy counts as a uh, monarch yet. I don't think he'll actually ever reach the throne due to his order, uh, rank order, but is it is it Harry? Because, you know, he's married to um, 
<laughs> he did. He did pretty good, right? <laughs> oh man. Yeah, he's he'll never be king. He'll never yeah, he be won't. king, but he's gonna have a good uh, life. So good. good yeah, that's him. true. So, Yo, he, he's been stripped of all his rank and title and all that, hasn't he? He and made him make Markle. And I yeah. leveled up. He would tell you it's yeah, worth did. it. Exactly. <laughs> Somehow he leveled up. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually not the first time that happened with the royal family. No. The uh, the who was the king at, at uh during the World War Two? Uh, uh, Elizabeth's it, father. It, it was Elizabeth's Elizabeth's it's uncle. It was yeah. Uncle. It was her father that had to take over when her uncle left. Yeah. Because he married a, a, an Woman. American actress, also. Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. So, Man. so it's, it's not Rolling the first the time it happened. Uh, Keeping it in the family. These American yeah. actresses will get you every. And I mean, you know, Queen Elizabeth's husband. I mean, even though he was not the monarch, the actual monarch, you know, he I mean, he, he he wanted to leave. He wanted to leave her for a man. So you know, they, they, they've had issues. They've had issues with their marriage. <laughs> so that's, is that fact? Is that fact? Heard that. That's that. fact. Our, our re res resident historian has spoken. That's fact. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, okay. well, and, 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 and definitely you, came um, from Gabe Benjamin Madrid. Uh, I won't say his address didn't come from me. I didn't spread <laughs> such rumors like that. Salute to the UK. All right. Well, everyone, thanks for coming today. Thanks to our special guest, Dr. Lloyd Trueblood. It's an excellent yeah. conversation as usual. Uh, thanks for episode 24, guys. It's been a great year. I've, I've definitely learned a lot um, podcasting about you all, even though I speak to most of you every day, uh, right. at least through text <laughs> message. But I think uh, it's been a really good year. I think uh, we stumbled onto something great. Looking forward to what uh, year two is going to bring. Thanks to all of the people who patronize and watch every week. There's people who text message me and tell me that they watch uh, neighbors and stuff that I'm not expecting to. So um, thankful to all the people who watched it and given us the commentary and the comments and the attention and the engagement. So, um, and thanks to all of you who showed up. Sheldon, I know we're glad to have you back. Uh, you you you've made at least twelve of the twenty four. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, and I'll do my best to stay consistent for the next twenty four. Stay, stay, stay consistent. So. <laughs> Glad to have you back, and Ricky. Thanks for uh, being overseas. Yes, sir. Uh, and uh, and getting on this early in the morning. Hopefully, That's like uh, four a.m. now, right? Yeah. Right. That's right. Yo, hey, Lupe, yo, drop yo. your new album, Lupe. Lupe, drop your new album. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just make sure it's not twenty-seven tracks or whatever. Like I uh, tried to endure this week. I, I I put up I put up a, a decent review. Check it out. I, I saw Facebook. that. I, that's, that's the only. I'm not going to listen to it, but I saw your review. That was a great review. <laughs> it was a good that review. Was a great review. Uh, All right. Well, happy everybody. Happy birthday, John. Happy birthday, Thanks, yeah. Man. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's yeah, tomorrow, yeah. but evening and morning, so you know. There you go. <laughs> you're almost 40, the first you're, day. you're almost 43 years old. Uh, so congrats. You are correct, sir. You look old, dur. We're actually going to do, do like a birthday special on on the live tomorrow night. So, are you uh, tomorrow night at nine? Yeah. Are you going to get? Are they going to bring a cake? I love my cake, but that's are you what we're going to do. Every other people. <laughs> 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 you don't know about the bottom bank. Yeah, got your birthday special right over here. Right over here. <laughs> well, and, and John, today's today. Before we leave, today's episode is sponsored by Just John and April. I I did that because I wanted you to maybe give ten seconds about your special event that you're pushing. And uh, oh yeah, nice we have we have a 
Yeah, so tomorrow night at 12 is when it when the special ends, but we have a 30-day intimacy boot camp that we are uh, doing, starting it up again September 13th to October 12th, and uh, so we have some time till we start, but we have uh, $200 off of the price until tomorrow night at midnight, so if anybody wants to join, they just go to bootcamp.justjohnandapril.com, and they can sign up. Well, thanks. Well, I hope, happy yeah. birthday again. Um, Thanks, man. And, and uh, go to the boot camp if you want to talk about knocking boots. Um, but we we thank you all for coming. Uh, uh, and, and as usual, the Boymanship Podcast will never leave you wrong. We'll always leave you strong. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>